0: I think the challenge is when you're a VC guy and you sit on a board, your job as a board member and your relationship with the CEO is kind of tricky. And let's say you give advice to the CEO and that CEO doesn't take your advice. Then you have two extreme choices. One is to fire the CEO and always gets the attention of the CEO, in my experience. And the other extreme is to say, you know what, John, it's your company. I will not do it this way, but do whatever you want.
1: Yo, what's up everybody, welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am sitting down with Philippe Bisou, author of Aligning the Dots, host of the Alignment Zone TV series, speaker, growth expert, venture capitalist, CEO, entrepreneur, board member, Philippe has been in Silicon Valley for over three decades now, growing and running a number of businesses, including G2i, a Unix software company, and the Milestone Group. Philippe founded and ran Apple's worldwide internet commerce group, where he managed the online Apple Store and grew its revenue from 0 to $350 million under a guy named Steve Jobs. Today, the online Apple Store generates over $25 billion in sales. Philippe was a general partner in two venture capital firms and has served on 21 board of directors, including three today. So guys, it's going to be a really interesting conversation with Philippe, somebody who has had a tremendous amount of experience in growing some of the biggest companies in the world. Philippe, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me on your show, and I'm looking forward to a great
1: discussion. Yes, sir. So tell us uh, in the background, I got to ask about it before we move on. Blue Dots Partners, what are you uh, focused on with Blue Dots?
0: Well, we're a management consulting firm. We're based uh, in Palo Alto and Silicon Valley. And um, we are about 25 people and we do one thing and one thing only. We help companies grow faster. And we typically work with companies that are between $10 million and a $1 billion in revenue. And we have a very unique way of doing it.
1: You say $10 million and $1 billion?
0: Correct, yes. Okay,
1: got it, got it. It seems like of uh, anybody running consultancies in that space, you probably would be one of the people who actually knows how to get there. So let's go ahead and rewind the clock a little bit and talk about how you got into all of this. Tell me about 11, 12-year-old Philippe. Where where'd you like? Where were you in the world? What was life like for you? Paint us a picture of being you as a kid.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of people ask me where I'm from and I never know how to answer that question. And the reason is that My dad was in the military in France, military brat I spent. We moved every two or three years. I actually was born in Germany because just it happened to be based in a French military base over there in Germany. And so I don't have really roots. I cannot say I'm from, you know, Paris or, or whatever. And, um, that actually taught me an interesting lesson, which is you need to be able to adapt. You know, I was parsing and sometimes we move in the middle of the school year. And so you learn your proing into a new school into a new environment, you have to start again all the friendships and relationships and i I personally liked it. I was able to kind of redefine myself every two or three years It was an interesting process. Some of my siblings were didn't do as well as I did, so I thought it was cool and that's the way i was I was raised and uh, when I was ten or eleven, I only wanted to do one thing in my life I was obsessed about it, and that was my goal, which was to become a test pilot in the French Air Force. And um, I was determined that's what I would do with the rest of my life. And I had no other idea, no other objectives. And of course, life took me somewhere else. you know. But that's what I wanted to do.
1: When did life take you somewhere else?
0: Well, I was in high school. I actually went to a military school, uh, kind of a prep school. And I had good grades. I was doing well. I was on track. And um, when I was 18, the uh, or 17, we had a military medical exam, and the doctor looked at me and he said and told me he said, "Look, you will never be a pilot. You can be a mechanic if you want, but you'll never be a pilot." And I said, "Why?" He says, "Well, your eyesight is bad, and uh, you need glasses. You can't see." And I told him, "I said, look, you know, I want to fly those airplanes. I want to destroy them. I don't want to repair them. I'm not interested in being a mechanic." And this poor doctor, within like 30 seconds, really destroyed my life. He had no idea how much how much harm it brought to me. And of course, I had no big plan. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was lost. And that was another big lesson in my life, which is always be prepared for things you want to happen, not happening. And think about, you know, just in case, you know, what would you do? And um, that was a big lesson. And that was a big disappointment and, and a big turn for my life, actually.
1: Yeah, so what do I do in times like that, Philippe, I mean that...
0: Well, I was lost. I mean, I was lost for about 69 months. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I was 18. I was just finishing high school. And then I went into prep schools for, um, you know, to be able to go in different non university but it's called Grands Écoles in France, which is kind of elite schools, if you will. I ended up studying physics and, you know, being a physicist and it was a very different turn. You say when I was 11, if you would have told me, I'd be a physicist, like, there's no way I'll, I'd be a pilot. I wouldn't be a physicist. Yeah. Right. Right. But I had to figure it out. And it was, it was a tough transition. It was a tough time for me.
1: Sure. Yeah. When you, basically your entire identity that you've assigned to yourself yes. up to that point yes. was rooted out of you. Enough, right. You gotta have to start over basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It seems like you've done that a few times in your career. When was the next time that you started over? Well, I started over when I moved to Silicon Valley. That was
0: about 30 years ago, as you mentioned. I actually started a, a unique software company here in the Valley.
1: You started a software company, so 1992 timeframe? Yeah. i sorry, a software company? and uh, 91, okay.
0: What happened is there was an unbelievable technology that a French company had developed, and I knew how good the technology was. And I told them, I said, look, I want to license the technology and I want to start a business in the U.S. So you give me exclusive rights for North America. And in exchange, I'd give you equity in the company, in the U.S. company. And that's what we did. And so that-
1: Real real quick, real quick on that. Why was that something that was even on your radar? You were a physicist, right? I was but when you're a physicist
0: and working in a lab, you you write a lot of code. I was, you know, uh, developing and writing a lot of code as a software because you would buy those machines to do experimentation but they didn't really have the ui they didn't have the interface so you really had to code pretty much everything it was the early days of computing yeah Um, and so and i i quickly understood that software was really key Uh, Mm -hmm. i not much about the hardware and then i said okay well if i if i'm really interested in software where should i go on the planet to do that then silicon valley was really the only choice and so i moved here Studied that company, licensed the software, um, and then we sold the company to our largest customer, who didn't like the fact that we were selling to our competition. And I said, "Look, there is only one way: is you buy us, and we're not for sale." And that's how the transaction happened.
1: <laughs> we're, we're not for sale, and then they were like, "We'll see." Basically, well, they really were not happy that
0: that we were selling and licensing our software to their competition. Yeah. As like you know, you're the buyers. That's the only way. I don't know. I am not going to stop selling to your competitors because I need to run a business. And then I said, look, there, there's only one way out of this, which is you buy us and one for sale. And that's how they acquired us. You know, nice. sell a company to get acquired.
1: So was that your real first journey into entrepreneurship? Then was that company? Yeah. That's right. So a massive technology company was the very first thing that you ever kind of dipped your toes in. How, how old were you now at that time? I was, let's see, probably twenty something like that, twenty-one. Oh wow! So like, so you didn't really do the physicist thing for yeah, any I, I, really sorry, period no, of time.
0: Like, let's see, I was twenty-six or twenty-seven. Yeah, because I got okay. my, I did my master and PhD after high school, and then I moved to Europe, right to Europe and my PhD.
1: Okay, wow! So it was a very short.
0: Yeah, it's okay. actually Stanford proposed, uh, wanted me to do a postdoc uh, at the university. And so I had a choice. I said, well, do I stay in physics and do research or do I jump into entrepreneurship? And of course I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. So I was
1: like, ah, oh, I'm intrigued by this. Let me try it and see what happens. Yeah, amazing. So move to the US, was there any time where, like, especially post company exit where you were like, ah, I'm gonna go back home for a little bit or you know, was it tried- just the next venture was right there? Well, it's a good question. So
0: I, I got married, we got two kids um, and in 2004, we were, the kids were pretty young and we were debating whether we wanted to live back in Europe or not, because all the family was there, we had young kids.
1: And your wife was also from Europe?
0: And my wife is from
1: Europe. She's half
0: French and half from uh, Austria. Okay. And so we said, um, instead of agonizing over this, why don't we spend a year in France? We're just going to move there. We put the kids to school. We live the French way. We pay French tax. And then we'll see after a year, then we can decide. So we spent a year in France and we realized that I was really missing the valet or missing the weather and we had a lot of friends here. And so we decided to move back. So we, we moved back to Iran and we've been here since uh, since that. So we took a one, maybe one and a half year break in France. I actually was a partner in a venture firm that was based in Paris. And I also realized yeah. it was way behind what we do here in the valet. It was too slow for me. It's just not the same vibe, so I was missing that for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, if especially if you're in the internet business in 1995 to 2015, yeah. Silicon Valley was yeah. the place okay. to be, right? Do you think that some of that's changing now, especially with COVID having shut down a lot of things and making people virtual? Do you think that do you think there's a lot of room for? Growing technology communities outside of Silicon Valley now.
0: Yeah, I think I think you can build. In fact, I, I've been, I'm on the board of a company now. We just got acquired, but uh, we had 150 engineers based in Madrid. I think having the R&D, research and development, engineering team outside Silicon Valley is a good idea because one is there's really good talent in Europe and in Eastern Europe and in India and and those countries, and two is that the cost of the salaries and the, the overheads uh, is much, much lower than here. And then three people show up on Friday. Here, if you have a good engineer, Microsoft and Apple and Google, I'm going to try to steal that person. And the, the, the ability to keep that talent in-house for a startup
1: or small company is really hard. Yeah. They're going to pay them twice as much and let them work three days a week. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't compete against that,
1: Yeah, now with the startup budget yeah.
0: <laughs> no, exactly. yeah, so I think having that r& d especially in France and but there's many other countries where, where the quality of the engineering is extremely high, and th- then the question is how do you manage a remote you know r& d force and and that takes you know you need of skills, but but, but that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh,
1: so kind of getting back into your story, at what point did you end up doing this big project with Apple?
0: Well, I, after I sold my company, I worked for Hashet, one of the largest publishing companies in the world and really helped them move from paper to electronic publishing. And, okay. and Hashet is a 300 year old company, very uh, traditional in printing magazines and books. And I, I call that the atoms to bits uh, transition. Now that was back in, you know, in the early nineties. And so I did. I was running business development for actually publishing, and I negotiated a deal with Apple actually. Um, and then the guy at Apple liked me, and he says, "Well, why don't you come and work for Apple?" So that's how I joined Apple uh, back in
1: 1995. 1995. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So the the your big initiative then was basically, hey, we want to start selling our stuff online now rather yeah. than just retail.
0: Yeah. So one day I woke up and, 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 I, I was thinking it was the beginning of the internet. And, you know, if you, if you, I kind of think of day one of the internet when Netscape went public in August 95. And one day I woke up and I said, well, why can I buy your Mac over the internet? And in 97, the big question was, why should anybody want to put their credit card number over the internet? That was the big debate. So I went to Michael Spiller who was the CEO of Apple at the time. And I told him, I said, Michael, we need to sell directly over the internet. And he kind of kicked me out of his office. He said, Well, you don't understand. We're in the pallet business. We build 10,000 units of one of a SKU, put it on the boat, and we ship it to the warehouse of our customers, our distribution partners. So I said, Michael, I get it, but it's like, why can't somebody buy a mic directly from us? You know, we don't have any relationship. There's no Thomas relationship with our customers. Then I went to Gilamilio and it was the same story. And then we bought Next. And um and I met with Steve. I explained to him what I wanted to do. I should put my badge on the table. I said, Steve, you know, I've been trying to do that for a while. I think we need to start direct on the internet. And if you don't think it's a good idea, that's fine. I'm leaving a to or something else. And um he liked the idea and you know, we developed the MS workshop. yeah, the boss who gave me the budget and the headcount before. So the project was pretty much done when we bought next. And then we launched a few months after after we acquired Next and um I run it from zero to $315 million. And, and um, yeah,
1: it was a great project. <laughs> it was a good project, yeah. And then after that project was done, did you just kind of feel like you were, you know, fulfilled your time at Apple or uh, was ready to move to something different?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think it was a combination of two things. One is that to grow it from $350 million to let's say 5000000000 billion wasn't exciting. It was just like easy. And it was just like scaling. My old infrastructure was built because we built everything from scratch. And then the, the second thing, which was probably more important, is my wife gave me a naughty madam. You know, we were married for a few months and she said, she sat me down. So I I was in trouble. I didn't know what I did. <laughs> and look, you have a choice to make. You either stay married with me or you marry Steve, but it's like, I'm not going to go on like this. And she was absolutely right. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I decided to that. I will marry Steve. I'm not going to have kids with Steve anyway. That <laughs> wasn't what I wanted to do. And it wasn't been been more money, point. money to yeah. do either.
1: And so
0: <laughs> I, I left Apple and I left without knowing what I would do. But it just was, you know, it was hard actually. And 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 you know, Travis, if you ever wonder how I lost my hair, now you know the answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, probably several answers along the way that uh, yeah. contributed to that. And it's just another example of you reinventing yourself again. Which was yeah, seemingly well, a skill set yeah. that you learned early on as a kid, moving from base to base to base to base to base, right?
0: Yeah. I knew that we had to start direct our on it. Of course, the timing was a little bit early, but I was absolutely, my conviction level was very high. And I told Steve, I said, we have to start direct for, for a number of reasons. And to his, you know, to his credit, Steve immediately understood and immediately agreed. I didn't have any problem after that. He understood and he foresaw the importance of selling the right to the internet. And then you now it he basically supported me and that really helped. Otherwise it wouldn't yeah. happened.
1: Well, and, and even after you left Apple is another time where you had to sit there and go, Okay, well, now what? Right. Yeah, then I I,
0: it was interesting. I became a bunch of capitalists really by accident. I, when I was at Apple, I actually run a, a group called Apple Studio that was before the e-commerce business and were focusing on the content developer community, which made sense given my background with Ashad. And I was on the board of the Annenberg Cinematographic School at USC. And one of the board members was a venture capitalist in the fund. And he told me, he said, well, what are you going to do now that you're out of Apple? And I said, I have, I don't know, but I'm going to start a business. I'm an entrepreneur. And he said, well, why don't you come and work for us? And, and I told him that the idea of writing a check and giving that to an entrepreneur wasn't really appealing. I, I'm a guy who wants to do things. And he said, well, we're doing a little bit more than that. Why don't you hang around with us for a while and see if you like it? And I joined and I became a partner and I spent five and a half years on invested $43 million. And I, I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. Have mm. you enjoyed it? Why did you,
1: uh, why did you end up leading that one?
0: Well, uh, several reasons. One is because I wanted to play a more active role. I think the challenge is when you're a VC guy and you sit on a board, your job as a board member and your relationship with the CEO is kind of tricky. And let's say you give advice to the CEO and that CEO doesn't take your advice. Then you have two extreme choices. One is to fire the CEO and always gets the attention of the CEO, in my experience. And the other extreme is to say, you know what, John, it's your company. I will not do it this way, but do whatever you want. And I'm thinking, okay, let's see. What I mean? We put $10 million into this company. I've been on the board for three years. The guy doesn't listen. I don't really want to fire him or, her, and I don't want that person to not follow my advice anymore. And so I was never able to really define clearly. I wasn't able to find a middle one that I was happy with. And so that was an issue. What we do at Buddhist, we give advice, but we're like doctors, we give a prescription on whether that person follows or not. The advice is up to them, and I sleep better or worse at night. Like a doctor wouldn't sleep better or worse if the patient decides not to take the medicine. That's not what the doctor would do. Whereas if I have, you know, I put $10 million into a deal, I'm on the board, and we have limited partners, then it's like, well, I feel an obligation to do something about it, but I don't quite Of course, yeah. So that was one of the main results. And the other is I wanted to be more involved at the operating level without being the CEO, because you're still on the board, it's pretty high, you're flying at a pretty high altitude. I wanted to get a bit lower, but not be part of a company. I didn't want to run a company again. And so yeah. what we do today really needs to be that right attitude for me, for where I am in mean, my, my business life.
1: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. So talk to me about Aligning the Dots, the book. When did you decide that that was going to be a project that you wanted to take on? I and mean, then what are you hoping people are taking away from this book?
0: Yeah, so it's a great question. I've been on 22 boards now, as you mentioned earlier. And one of the challenge that any CEO and any entrepreneur, or any business leader is facing is what do I do on Monday morning at eight o'clock to start growing faster? And it's a deceptively simple question, but really hard to answer. it. It's a little bit like saying, what do I do on Monday morning at eight o'clock to be a good dad or a good mom? And there is no single simple answer to that question. And my experience on those 22 boards has always been frustrating, which is we don't really know what the CEO or the management team needs to do to grow faster. Mm-hmm. And it's a very knee-jerk reaction, very emotional, like, well, we need to fire the VP of sales, or we need to just you know, put more money into marketing, those kinds of things. And I always ask, well, why do we need to do that? And all the answers were very fuzzy or, well, I did it for another company and it worked. And I'm thinking, companies are like kids. You don't raise them the same way. It just doesn't work. There is no recipe. So one day I was thinking as a physicist, there's got to be a better way. You know, There's got to be a better way. And I came about an epiphany back in 2014, which is I realized that the maximum growth rate of a business compared to the target market always relates to the market is when the company is perfectly aligned with this target market. Yeah. Growth is fundamentally a notion of alignment between the business and the target market. And it's like a mechanical watch. If you misalign the gears, yeah, you made be step ticking, but you're going to slow down and eventually you're going to stop ticking. And if a company is not well aligned with this target market, the growth rate will slow down and eventually the company becomes irrelevant. The company may die. So then I had the next question. Well, what does it mean to be aligned with the target market? And the second epiphany I had back in 2014, is that there are four universal axis of alignment between any business and its target market. And the remarkable thing is that they are truly universal. So I can take Lacoupole, which is a famous cafe in Paris. I can take Tesla. I can take American Airlines or Bank of America or any business. They are subject to the same four principles of alignment. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you very quickly what they are. The first yeah, one, please. the first axis of alignment is that the pain of the customer and the claim that the business makes have to be aligned. So if you come to me, Travis, and you say I have a headache and I should use stomach pill, well, you will never buy my pill because your pain is your head and my claim is fixing stomach ache issues. That's the first one. The second one is that the messaging, which is the expression of the claim, and the perception, which is the understanding of the claim, have to be aligned. So let's assume I have the right pill for your headache. It costs 99 cents. It'll be gone in 10 minutes, but I describe it here in Korean, I'm assuming we don't speak Korean. You will never buy that. It was like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Even though it's the perfect product, perfect pill for you, I think. So that's the second axis. The third one is the way customers want to buy it and the way custom and the way the product is sold in the marketplace have to be aligned. So if I say Travis, you you need you can come you, you need to come here to Palo Alto to buy my pill, you can say, Well, wait a minute, I'm in Vegas, why can't I just walk to the pharmacy and buy the PL? And then the fourth axis is my favorite one Cool. I actually stole it out of the Apple Playbook. I learned a few lessons working for Steve, but one of them and it's interesting, I learned about it after I left Apple, not while I was there. I realized that there is one and only one single business on this entire planet. Everybody is in the same one business. And that business is the manufacturing and delivery of delight. Mm. And that again, because it's really profound. There's only one business on this planet. Everyone is in the same business, which is to manufacture and deliver delight. So when you buy a product or a service, you have a certain delight expectation. As you consume that product or that service from discovery all the way to disposal, that expectation has to be met. So the alignment is between what you expect and what's delivered to you. So if you want to grow as fast as you can within your target market, you must realize four alignments. The pain of your customer and your claim have to be aligned. Your message and the perception, which is the understanding of your claim, have to be aligned. The way you sell and the way people want to purchase have to be aligned and the expected delight and what you deliver to your customers have to be aligned and so if you're perfectly aligned you will grow as fast as you can then the next step is well what the heck does that mean to be aligned between the pain and the claim so at dots we developed about 20 tools that are our own technology and our own proprietary tools where well, we can measure a coefficient of alignment from zero to 100 percent along each of those four axes and then, by virtue of measuring, we understand the insights and where the company is misaligned and why. And then we can build a growth playbook, which is an operating plan that we give back to the CEO. And then now the CEO knows exactly what to do on Monday morning later to start to grow his or her business faster. And that's what we do.
1: That's amazing. So aligning the dots, if you are a CEO or founder, you just got four really good reasons to go pick up a copy of this book. If you are doing over $10 million in revenue and you want somebody to actually hold your hand, walk you through this process, and you're trying to grow significantly even beyond those numbers, then reach out to uh, Philippe for, for his firm's expertise in being able to do that with what they do over at Blue Dots Partners. And then he's got the alignment zone TV uh, series that, that that he does as well, putting out content all over the place, helping people just like you, just like me, uh, grow our businesses uh, through these four alignments, which makes a lot of sense. And I definitely will be uh, going through some of these myself and doing an internal review of of how aligned we are with those uh, with those things. Because, like like you said, man, at the end of the day, we all complicate business and make it way just make it way more complicated than it needs to be, and the way that you just laid out those four alignments, it's just it's just getting back to the very core basics of what you do as a business owner. There's a problem in the market. You solve that problem for that market, and that's it. People give you money to solve their problems. And if you can get back to just getting very aligned on how that market hears that, what they can expect from you, and how, how it ends up delighting or not delighting them... And yeah, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. That that could be the 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 thing to unlock that's going to lead to the next big stretch of growth for any organization. Yeah, that's exactly right. Philippe, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a pleasure for me. Like I said, I wish we had a little bit more time. I would talk to you a little bit more about some other things like capital raising and. And relationships and all that stuff um, because it's obviously something that, that has been a part of your values in your career uh, having the prestigious network that you have and the people that you've been able to do business with and help throughout the, the the last few years but as we wrap up here is there anywhere else where you would like people to go hear a little bit more about what you have going on or get in touch with you or your team
0: yeah i think so they can find a book on amazon obviously i think the best way to reach out to me is to connect on LinkedIn. And they can actually connect with me on our website as well, which is www.bluedotspartners.com. Dots with an S and partners with an S. And um, I'd be happy to help and and, um, share some suggestions in any way I can.
1: BlueDotsPartners.com. Dots with an S, partners with an S. BlueDotsPartners.com. And then uh, you can connect with Philippe over on LinkedIn. That's uh, Philippe, two Ps in Philippe, one L, two Ps. And then Bisou is his last name. That's B-O-U-I-S-S-O-U. B-O-U-I-S-S-O-U. Go connect with them over on LinkedIn. Tell them you heard about it here on the show. Pick up a copy of that book. I know that we will be going through it internally to examine how closely we are aligned with those four alignments Thanks so much for coming on the show I love, yeah. a lot in just a short period of time and hope we can connect again in the future really soon.
0: Yeah, with, with pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. And I think your show is great. And I would certainly encourage anybody to listen to it.
1: Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, So that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time.